Community Church, we are so glad that you are here today um, to see your smiling eyes behind the mask. Um, I am a huge lover of fall, so I'm loving this weather. I don't know if anybody else, um, you know, if you're normally with us, you see me in the same outfit every day, so I'll actually like somewhat look decent this fall. But <laughs> we woke up this morning and I just um, was so grateful for today. I know like quarantine is hard and I love being around people and I'm so excited to come today and have all these new faces and old faces we haven't seen for a while so we're so glad that you're here and we're just going to get started with the sound of heaven.
you're familiar with Horizon at all, you're probably saying it. But it's a really good song. And I know we um, were at this youth meeting two years ago now or something like that. And this guy was like, oh, you know, the hymn is well with my soul. And it's like, what if it's not well? You know, I feel like with quarantine, like my routine is out of sync. It's just life is insane. Horrible things happen. I'm like, it is not well with my soul. And that is okay because when you turn to God, it can be made so well in an instant, even in a millisecond, you just turn your eyes back to him and he's there waiting for you. And I just love the song so much.
dangerous. Sometimes it'll lead to end of your rope scenarios. It might get you persecuted. And he says, hey, don't be surprised by this. It's actually through this that you actually live the best life, the blessed life. In verses 13 through 16, he continues the introduction by saying, hey, taste and see that my way of life, living and loving like me, is the best way of life. It's good. And if you live and love like me, people around you will taste and see that Yahweh, the one true God, is good also. Now, this week he's going to conclude his introduction in verses 17 to 20, and we'll finally get into the first principles about what it looks like to live and love like Jesus. So let's finish the introduction. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Jesus says, Don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth shall pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus was a rabbi, a traveling teacher who taught a way of life based on the Tanakh. Uh, that's the Torah, the law, and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. It's the Jewish scriptures. Now, a rabbi would travel around, he would teach this way of life based on the Old Testament, and he would invite disciples to learn from him and take this way of life, to live it, and to bottle it for others, and invite them to become disciples as well. What Jesus is doing here is he's not reinventing the wheel. This is something other rabbis were doing, but what he's suggesting is that what he's bringing is not just a way, but the way. That he's not just a rabbi, that he is God himself. He's building upon the Old Testament, but he's not replacing it. There's a reason in our Bibles, right, that we don't just have the New Testament, that we also have the Old Testament. I know when I first became a follower of Jesus, I was like, the Old Testament's hard. It's a lot of weird names. I know Sean's reading through the Bible for the first time, and he's like, when I come to those long name sections, I just listen to it. I don't read it, right? There's parts where you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Why is it talking about sacrifice? Why is this so hard to get to? And then we get to the New Testament, where we're like, oh, it's written for me. It's talking about Christians, and it's talking about church, and it's talking about Jesus, and I, I can understand this. I can take something from this. But we don't throw the Old Testament out, because Jesus wasn't destroying the Old Testament or invalidating it. He wasn't canceling it. He was fulfilling it. Now, you might ask yourself, what about all those weird commands in the Old Testament? Are we supposed to keep all those to be a follower of Jesus? That's what the early church wanted to know, too, especially as all the first followers of Jesus were Jewish. And then they started to reach Gentiles with the good news that there was a resurrection from the dead, that the one true God had come and invited us into a relationship with him. Um, all of a sudden, the Jews were like, you Gentiles need to become Jewish. And the Gentiles were like, you really don't want to do some of those things that are required to become Jewish. And it was an early debate. And we see the book of Acts talk about this. And the letters of Paul covers that. And here's what they decided. You don't have to become Jewish in order to become a Jesus follower. But they said you should honor the commands of the Old Testament. You should honor what Yahweh has commanded. And they drew special attention to serving the poor, avoiding idolatry, and maintaining a strict sexual ethic. You see this in the book of Acts where Paul comes before the Jerusalem council. You see it in Galatians and Ephesians where Paul makes reference to that. 
uh, encounter, they drew a line between the commands that uniquely created the Jewish people. There's some commands in the Old Testament where it's like, this is going to make you a unique people. This is going to set up your unique government. They said, hey, as Gentile followers of Jesus, you don't have to follow that. But the commands that revealed what God was like, you should follow. See, God doesn't command things to control us. He commands things to funnel us towards joy. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys ever played The Sims. Remember that game The Sims? It was on PC when I was a kid. Now it's like on all consoles. And it's like you control people and you build houses and you take them through their lives and you can click on them and make them do things. Well, my sister got that game when we were a kid and uh, I quickly realized human beings are pretty terrible because I did not take my sins through a happy life journey, you know, from birth until marriage and, you know, uh, career. I was like, how can I build a room and trap them in there and then set that room on fire? You know, like if you've ever doubted, is humanity sinful? Just let them play sins for an hour and you can see. Um, I took great, I great, took great enjoyment and we laughed for hours um, torturing these simulated people. It's fun to control virtual people. God's not trying to control us when he commands things. God control, or commands things, rather, to make us like himself. So what he commands reveals, reveals to us about who he is and what he's like and how we can become like him. Commands aren't about control. They reveal divine character. And so maybe if you're watching online and you're here this morning and you're like, this is command of God and it really, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. It seems hard. It seems controlling. It seems restrictive. Consider, could it be that God is not trying to keep you from something enjoyable or fun, but rather he's trying to funnel you towards the greatest human joy that you can experience. And so that's why Jesus says the kingdom doesn't do away with these commands because God hasn't changed. These still reveal the nature of God, and keeping these commands don't earn us the love of God, but because God loves us and longs for us to be like Him, we become the best version of ourselves when we become more like the God who created us. Now, he finally, he ends his introduction here with this statement, and he says something like this in several places in his ministry, but it's interesting that he makes note of this as he's about to outline what it looks like to be his disciple. He ends his introduction by saying, you need to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, these were the religious bigwigs in Jesus' day. These were the people that people looked at and were like, look at everything they're doing. I could never be that good. Look at everything that they're doing and how they're talking. Usually a Pharisee memorized the entire Old Testament. Just think about that. I've got a handful of verses memorized. Maybe if I was really forced to it, I've got a chapter that I could spit out. But you know what? They would memorize the whole Old Testament and they would loudly practice their good deeds wherever they could. They were experts at doing the right thing when people were watching. They were really good at doing the right thing when people were watching. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that to be my student means that you don't just do what I say when people are watching like the Pharisees and the scribes do. It isn't about being seen as spiritual. It's about becoming like me. And so that means you should be obedient to what I'm saying even when no one is watching. Living and loving like Jesus is about becoming like him, not trying to earn his approval or his applause. We don't live and love like him in order so that he'll love us, but because he loves us and because he promises to empower us with the Holy Spirit, we can live and love like him. Okay, so introduction is finally done. After three weeks of 
talking, we finished Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. You thought I had long introductions? I'm just trying to be like Jesus, you know. Um, well, that was a joke in this spot. So I'm trying to <laughs> So now we're going to jump into verses 21 through 26. Maybe some people were laughing online. In verses 20. Oh, that's what it is. Verses 21 through 26, we now get into the first principles of living and loving like Jesus. We're going to be a disciple. We want to know what it looks like to live and love like Jesus. This is what Jesus says to do. And he doesn't pull any punches. In verse 21, he says, You have heard it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder. Whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you'll never get out of there you pay the last penny. Now, Jesus, several times in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to refer back to something in the Old Testament and then build on it for his followers. He's here building upon the Old Testament command not to murder, but he goes a step farther and he says, if you're going to live in love like me, you got to do more than just not kill people. It's, like, it's more than that if you're going to be like Jesus. His students must be slow to anger. Just like Yahweh is slow to anger. They must not insult their enemies or call them names. They shouldn't belittle or bully people with their words. The follower of how Jesus lived in love should be the first to seek reconciliation, even before the other party acknowledges a wrong. Well, way to make up for a long introduction, Jesus. You know, has this long introduction, and then in five short verses, he literally gives me enough to chew on for the rest of my life. If I literally just lived out these five verses as a student of Jesus, I think I would radically look different than most of the people in the world. My life would look so different, people would be like, what's your deal? Like, you're not living like a normal human being. And this is just the first five verses of two chapters of what it looks like to live and love like Jesus. When we are quick to anger, we do not reflect Yahweh, the one true God. We do not reflect slow to anger. When we insult people and call them names, whether to their faith, face, or on social media, we do not reflect Yahweh who is gracious and generous to the wicked and the righteous. When we refuse to make amends, we do not reflect Yahweh who loved us and went to great lengths to die in our place, to rescue us and redeem us even before we loved him. Imagine what your life would look like if you were slow that's what I started thinking about this week. What would my life look like if I was slow to anger? Imagine how it would affect my marriage, my workplace, my driving on the school. Like, uh, I need to be slow to anger in some of these places. Imagine what your life would look like if you did not call people insults or slurs or mock or belittle them or make them feel stupid. Imagine what your life would look like if you rushed to reconcile every time a relationship was damaged, whether it was with an enemy or whether it was a friend. I don't know about you, but my life, I think, would look radically different. And so what I have to conclude is I haven't been living and loving Jesus. I've been doing a lot of good things. But look, this is the first thing that Jesus commands or teaches as what it means to live and love like Jesus. 
and I can't even get past his first principle. A student of Jesus lives and loves like Jesus did. A student of Jesus is slow to anger, doesn't stoop to name calling, rushes to make amends. Now, Darby has noted lately, we can call it quarantine, we can just call that I'm getting old and bitter or what, but she's noted that my new favorite word seems to be idiot, and uh, I'm driving down the road, I'm like, look at this idiot. She's like, you just did that same maneuver. Like, you can't call them an idiot if you just did the same thing. I'm like, they did it wrong. They, they were an idiot. You know, I'll see somebody post something on social media, I still see me over there on my phone scrolling, and I'm just like, idiot. And Darby's like, what's wrong? It's like, somebody posted something on social media, it's so dumb. And, uh, you know, sometimes I see people do something in their life, and I'm like, oh, Darby, you're just acting like an idiot. She's like, what is it with you and the word idiot right now? You're calling everybody an idiot. A follower of Jesus does not insult or belittle or name call. That is not living and loving like Jesus. We know that murder's wrong, right? That's how Jesus starts out. You know murder's wrong. But he's like, if you're going to live and love like me, it's more than just murdering people with a knife or with a sword or with a gun. In an age of social media, we often murder people with words. We forget that words can kill. Or to paraphrase the words of Jesus' brother James in James chapter 3, the words we use are powerful. They're like a fire that can be used for great evil. The words you say set the course for your entire life. If you want to change the direction of your life, change what you say. Change how you talk change what you talk about. It'll change the direction of your entire life. Now, Jesus ends with this very provocative statement. He says, hey, if you call your brother fool, raka, idiot, uh, depending on your translation, it was this uh, first century term that essentially was similar to idiot. It's like when you're, you're belittling somebody. He says, you're in danger of hellfire. If you don't live and love like me, if you don't control your anger and your tongue and seek reconciliation, you're in danger of hellfire. Now, the Greek word used here is the word Gehenna. Now, it's a Hebrew word that means Valley of Hinnon. Valley of Hinnon is a real place. This isn't just some obscure, you know, reference that Jesus made up. It was a place that they knew and could visit. It's still a place where you can visit um, outside of Jeru Jerusalem. It's mentioned a couple times in the Bible. In 2 Kings, it mentions that people went there to worship the false god Molech, and they would actually start a fire, and they'd throw their children into the fire and burn them up so that Molech would give them good crops and make them prosperous. Jeremiah mentions that potters use that valley to get clay um, to make um, urns and vases. It's a real geographical place. It's a valley next door to Jerusalem. I think we have a picture up here for you. You can kind of see the, like, this rocky crack right there. That's the Valley of Canaan, or as they would say in Hebrew, Gehenna. Um, and so it was a real place. Just like Las Vegas is a real place, but just like Las Vegas, it began, it began yeah, it's kind of a real place. It's kind of also a mystical, uh, strange place. But you know how Las Vegas has become synonymous with sin and vice, depravity and corruption? Well, Gehenna became synonymous with divine judgment because it was a place of fire and burning because most scholars believe Jerusalem would dump their trash in this rocky crag. They're like, oh look, a hole in the ground, let's throw our trash in there. And then people would set it on fire and burn the trash up. And so it stunk, it burned, it was full of garbage. It became a common expression of judgment or of what a life looked like 
apart from God. So like Las Vegas is synonymous with vice, Gehenna became synonymous with punishment, with death, with refuse. In other words, Jesus is warning us that if we don't live and love like him in these areas of our lives, our lives are in danger of becoming a dumpster fire. And I think there's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Christian means little Christ, like Christ. And yet, we're quick to anger. We call people all kinds of names. And when we burn a relationship, we really don't care. And I think Jesus would say, you look more like a dumpster fire than you do like me. Man, I had to sit and think about that today. Or as I prepared this week, do I look more like Jesus, how I'm living and loving? Or do I look more like a dumpster fire? He says, the Pharisees were doing everything right on the outside. But on the inside, that's not the type of disciple I want. I want someone that's things right on the inside and that's reflected on the outside. For the student Jesus, what we feel matters. Don't let anger fester in your heart. What we say matters. Choose your words carefully. The health of our human relationships matter. Be the first to make things right. If you're watching or if you're here and you're like, I've had bad experiences with Christians. I've seen them call me names. I've seen them destroy relationships. I've seen them be angry. I'm sorry they were not reflecting Jesus. Give Jesus a chance, and I think you'll find that he, him and his ways are good. And I have to stop and think, as a follower of Jesus, am I dumpster fire or am I disciple? Keeping all the outward rules like the Pharisees doesn't matter if your inner life is a dumpster fire. Religion is really good at cleaning up the outside of people. It's really bad at changing the inside of people, who we are on the inside. I think only Jesus can restructure the inward heart and mind and lives of our lives. And we do that by coming to him and saying, I want to become your student. I want to learn how to live and love like you. Teach me Jesus. And I think that Jesus whispers, come be my student. I'll teach you how to live my life. It's an abundant life. So as we end, I think that there's three things that we can do. Number one, we can repent. That's what I had to do as I prepared this. I was like, man, I'm preaching, I'm studying, I'm doing all these religious things. But in my heart, has it got disorderly? Has it become a mess? Has it become a dumpster fire? So repentance is saying, I've been going the wrong direction. I'm going to change direction. If you've been quick to anger or slow to make amends, you've been tearing down those around you, change direction, admit it, call it out as evil, as contrary to living and loving like Jesus, as contrary to the abundant life that Jesus offers. Second, practice this week. So Jesus gives us three principles here in this first section to practice, right? Be slow to anger. Don't tear people down. Let's build them up instead. And take, make human relationships valuable. Don't just break them at the whim of a hat, but seek to restore them. Make a plan about how you are going to implement these teachings this week. I'm a plan person. I like to have a plan or otherwise I don't do it. So maybe that's just a sticky note in a place where you tend to get angry and remind yourself Jesus is slow to anger. Um, you may have a different way to practice, but however you want to practice these principles this week, gather a community to help encourage you and correct you. For me, my wife, she's such a blessing from the Lord, but when I call out the word idiot, you know, she gently reminds me that I shouldn't call people idiots. 
Have somebody who's close to you, who you trust, who can encourage you both to practice these and correct you when you fail. And finally, remember to spiritually stretch. No matter how strong you are, there's a weight you can't lift until you build up your muscles. And many times we build up our physical muscles and we forget to build up our spiritual muscles. To practice the spiritual life of living and loving like Jesus, we need to develop the spiritual muscles by meditating on scripture, by spending time in prayer, practicing simplicity with what we have and our time, practicing silence and Sabbath and fasting. These build our spiritual muscles so we can live and love like Jesus. I'm going to pray for just a moment, and I'm just going to give you a moment to repent in your own heart. Maybe you're all good on these, but I was not. And so I want to just give you a moment to say, you know what, Jesus, I've used some words with people that I shouldn't have. There's a relationship that I should restore that I really don't want to even mess with. Jesus, I've been quick to anger. Please help me live in love like you. Jesus, I'm so grateful that no matter how many times we falter, we fail, or fall, you're ready to say, I forgive you. And Lord, I just want to call out of my own life. I've been calling a lot of people idiots during this time. And uh, God, forgive me, because that's not living in loving like you. Um, God, I feel like as quarantine has gone on, as the complications of COVID continue to impact every area of my life, um, it's made me angry because I feel out of control. And that's not living in loving like you. And God, I've been too quick sometimes to be like, okay, bridge is burned, forget that relationship, move on to the next one. And you are a God of reconciliation who went to extreme lengths to reconcile us to yourself. And so God, I just want you to know I'm repenting, I'm changing direction, and I want to live in love like you because I believe you live the greatest human life that anyone has ever lived. Right, Lord, I pray for these here, those watching online, those listening to the podcast, Lord, I pray that you will help them change direction, to move from running in one way and beginning to run in alignment with you and your way of life. And I pray all these things like meet Jesus Christ with. Amen.